Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from December 20th by Pastor Randy, titled Good News Part 2. All right, let's begin this morning looking at Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. And then came the part that caught everybody a little bit off guard. Then came the part that, that, that just made this go so much deeper. Then came the part that people couldn't believe in a world that was so divided. That this good news of great joy would be for all the people. See, the original version of the good news was so extraordinarily compelling it was so worth telling that many people, Luke tells us that many people sought to document the life, the, the miracles, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they considered this story worth telling for all generations, for all people, for all time. In fact, here's what we read from Luke 16. 16 Jesus put it this way. He said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John since that time. And since that time and since Jesus came and, and told them what God was like, how much God loved them, what, what, what God liked, what, what, what he was all about, how much that he cared for them, how much they had been mischaracterizing him. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. So everyone is, is saying, boy, I want some of that. I want that in my life. See, the original version of Christianity was so good that even though Rome outlawed it, even though the Jewish leaders tried to stomp it out, it still caught on because it was good news. And when people hear good news, they want it to be true. We talked about that last week. When you hear something that's good, you, you, our natural desire is, 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 is for that to be good news, for it to be true. It's like when we said, if you were to hear that processed sugar extends life expectancy, you go, man, I hope that's really true. So, how come the resistance in our culture? If, if the gospel is such good news that Jesus says everybody's trying to lean into it, everybody's trying to force their way into it, if the gospel is such good news that people were documenting this in a world where a lot of things didn't get written down. They were documenting many people so that it could be spread throughout the whole world for all generations. If it's such good news, why the resistance in our culture? Why aren't people saying, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I hope it is. Instead, what people are saying in our culture today, they're saying it may be true, but is it really good? Is it good for me? Is it good for our society? Why would there be such a change? Why would we see that this is good news of great joy for all people, but when it comes to our society, they're wondering, is it really that good? Do we really want this? It's simply this, because somewhere along the line, people have lost the original version. We have come to a place where we have distorted the original version of the good news. We have twisted it. We have Americanized the good news. We have 
if this is a word, prosperitize the good news. We have anti-intellectualized the good news. We've made it more about what you believe than what you do. We have made it simply into a type of fire insurance that you can have to make sure you go to heaven. But the original form of good news was not about how much you know. It was about how well you loved, how well you treated people. And when you make the, the gospel, when you make the good news into a what's in it for me, all of a sudden it's not good news anymore for all people. You may not be aware of this because I just live in a different circle than, than most of you. But over the past few years, there's been, uh, uh, I won't say a phenomenon, it's not a lot, of, but there's been a few pastors and some even megachurch pastors that have, deconverted from Christianity, become atheists. And they claim that they just no longer believe it anymore. And, and one of them, one of their relatives said this. She said, it's wonderful to be free of this religious burden because I don't have to hate anyone anymore. Well, a version of faith, a version of Christianity that says you have to hate people in order to, to be in with God or a version of Christianity that you just can't wait to get out of, that's not the original version. It's somehow become distorted because the original version was considered so compelling, such good news, that it was a great joy for all people. And people were wanting to believe it's true. They were leaning into it. But when you have a version of Christianity that's, that, that, that picks and chooses parts that suits you, that's not great news for all people. For example... In 1807, they published the Slave Bible. The Slave Bible was, was uh, produced, composed by a society for the conversion of slaves in the British West Indies. And they put together the Slave Bible for two reasons. One, to teach slaves how to read, and the other was to convert them. But what they did when they put the Slave Bible together, they took out every reference that would undermine the legitimacy of slavery. So the whole Exodus story, gone. In fact, they took out so much scripture that they reduced the Bible from about 1,100 chapters to 300 chapters. This verse right here, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus, gone. Not part of it. See, the slave Bible was good news for slave owners, but it just wasn't good news for slaves. The point being this. If your version of Christianity is not good for slaves and slave owners, if it's not good for rich and poor, for Jew and Gentile, for, for black and white, if it's not good for that crazy brother-in-law of yours that you hope doesn't stay too long at Christmas, if it's not good for that wacky neighbor you have, if it's not good enough for your ex-husband and ex-wife, it's not the original version of the good news. Because the original version of the good news was good news for all people. Here's what Jesus said. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everybody knows that you're following me. How? If you love one another. By your love for one another. Jesus couldn't be clearer. It's by how we treat one another. 
That's how people are going to know that, that you're my followers, Jesus says. But we miss it. Why do we miss that? Because we have distorted the gospel. We have a different version of the gospel that people are seeing today. And it's not the original version. We miss it. Why? Because we have quit following God. We have quit connecting to Him. We've lost sight of what makes the good news such good news. Here's what we read in Matthew chapter 1. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. That was good news. Because see, in the Old Testament, God was considered completely unapproachable. He was those angels with the swords outside the Garden of Eden that said, Thou shalt not pass. In other words, you don't go near this place. Or it may have been on Mount Sinai where they were told, Don't touch the mountain or you'll die. During the Exodus, God gave them the, the blueprint to, to build a tabernacle, and they were to put it up every time they stopped moving. And then this huge cloud would come over the tabernacle, and inside that cloud was the presence of God, and the presence of God would come down and go into the most holy place. That's where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, don't look inside, your eyes bulge out, your skin melts off. That type of thing. And th in other words... You cannot survive being in the presence of God. You stumble into the most holy place inside that tabernacle, you're, just, you're, you're gone. You're, you're just done for. That, that, that's the end of it. So this was not a very seeker-friendly church. Imagine for centuries growing up, believing you could not go into the presence of God. You just weren't allowed to come close. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is born. Emmanuel, God with us. Now he becomes approachable, not as a king, but as an infant, not in some big palace, but, but in a manger, not in some huge city, but in a, a little, little village. You might get a little bit nervous going into a throne room to visit a king, but nobody gets nervous to go see a little baby. The shepherds that night, they didn't have to flash their credentials in order to go in and see Jesus. When Jesus did ministry, you didn't have to go and set an appointment to go see Jesus and have your credentials checked out by a secret service. He was available. He made time for people. And when Jesus died, you had all this weird stuff that was going on. You had darkness and, and earthquake. And inside the temple, which was built on the same footprint as a tabernacle, there separating the most holy place was this curtain, and it tore apart from top to bottom. And God was saying, look, this is a whole new deal. Because from now on, you have the opportunity to be in the presence, to have an intimate relationship with a holy, holy, holy God. How incredible is that? This is how it's put in. In Hebrews, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. It's not stay away anymore. It's not don't come here or you die. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. The amazing thing is that God has allowed us through Jesus Christ to come into his presence, to be with him. You have an opportunity every day to come and to be in his presence, just to spend time with him. You were created for that relationship with him. He desires that. Not only does he, does he say we can come in his presence, he desires us just that time together. He wants that. And whenever we lost sight of that, when you have lost sight of you get to be in his presence every day, you get to spend time with him, you've lost sight of what the good news is all about. The very fact that you can come and connect with him on an intimate, personal level. Now, some of you, you hear that and you're convicted. Man. I understand that should be a part of my life. Some of you hear that and you had no clue. So some are convicted because you realize, yeah, I've kind of neglected that. I need to, I need to, to, to get back to spending time with God. Others, you had no clue. Some, you've heard that so long, you're numb to it. Here's the thing. If you don't, If you're not amazed by the fact that you can come into his presence and spend time with him, you completely lost sight of what the good news is all about. Because if you don't focus in on that, if that's not your focus every day that you get to spend time with God, you have one more option as a Christian, and that's be a hypocrite. Okay? You begin to hold others to a standard that you ignore yourself. We talked last week how liars hate to be lied to. Liars, they lie because they consider it a, a, a self-preservation thing. You know, they consider it something that, that's going to uh, help them survive, a survival technique, something like that. Or it just benefits them. So they'll lie, but don't you dare lie to them. Thieves hate to be stolen from. They'll take your stuff. They'll break into your house and take your stuff. But if you break into their house or somebody breaks in their house and takes their stuff, they don't say, that's just the way the world works. No, they call the police. Thieves, call the police. Somebody broke into my house. Unfaithful people hate to be cheated on. It's amazing how we can silence our own conscience when we do something wrong, but if somebody else does the same thing wrong to us, do we just give them a pass? Oh, no. We hold them accountable for what they ought to do. But then we give ourselves a pass. We go, I just made a mistake. Yeah, but you made that same mistake four times. Is there such thing as a premeditated mistake? That's how we think. When you scheme and you plan to do something that's wrong, that you know it's going to hurt another person, and you do it anyway, that's not a mistake. Mistake is when you're doing math and you forget to carry the one. That's a mistake. 
Having an affair is not a mistake. And here's the thing. Jesus smiles and says, hey, let's be honest. You're not mistakers. You're sinners. But that's the reason I came. Because not only do you not hold up to your own standards, you fall short of the glory of God. And we all know that verse, don't we? That verse is real familiar to us. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that, but we don't know what comes after it very well, do we? Here's what comes next. They are justified, meaning made right. And you're not made right by doing right. You're not made right by promising to do right. You're made right, how? Freely by His grace, through redemption as Christ Jesus. We're made right. The original version was such good news. Because what happened, it changed people's lives. It changed how they thought. It changed how they acted. It changed the way they related to other people. Here's a good illustration of that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, what if every Christian just behaved just like that? What if every Christian across our culture didn't do anything out of self-interest before the interests of others? What if they considered other people more important than themselves? Wouldn't you want a boss like that? Or if you're a boss, wouldn't you want to hire people like that? Wouldn't you want to work alongside people like that? Wouldn't you want to live in the same household with people like that? Don't you wish your dad was that way? Or aren't you glad your dad was that way? So how does that come? Let's read on. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, think like Jesus. Now, how are you going to know to think like Jesus? You spend time with him. You connect with him. You go into his presence. You open up his word. So how does Jesus think? Who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what did Jesus do? He didn't come down here and, and power up and play the God card. No, he leveraged his power and he leveraged his influence for us. And so when we, when we spend time with him and we see how he leverages power and influence for us, we do the same thing. We put other people first. We consider them more important. We looked out for their needs and not our own. Instead, what do we do? The gospel gets distorted, doesn't it? It gets twisted into you do what you want to do, I'll do what I want to do. And I know you may not like that, but that's just tough. I'm going to live the way I want to. You offended me. When the news becomes more about what than a who, it's not the good news anymore. When the good news becomes about us pretending everything's okay, 
I just make a mistake. That's not the good news. What you need to understand is that it's our shared brokenness that brings us together. And whenever we deny there's anything wrong, that's not the good news. Because we're all broken. And it's that which brings us together. Back a couple years ago, when, when Billy Graham passed away at his memorial service, my favorite part of the whole service was when Ruth got up. He's got five kids, okay? And they all got up and spoke, but his, his middle girl, Ruth, got up and spoke. She was like the hippie of the five, okay? She was the one that's kind of really far out there. Uh, but, but here's what she said. Let, let me read it to you. She said, I learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story and I have my own Billy Graham story. So I'm going to tell you that one. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. My family thought it would be a good idea if I moved far away and get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family. And near a really good church, and the pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower. And we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought they're almost grown, and they don't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I mean, I know what's best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo, and they said, Honey, why don't you slow this down? Let us wait and get to know this man. But they had never been single. And they had never been a single parent. And they'd never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn and willful and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a mistake. After five weeks, I fled because I was afraid of him. And now what was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my father. I wanted to talk to my mother. It was a two-day drive to their home. And questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to my daddy? What was I going to say to my mother? When I, when I, what was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. And what were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You embarrassed us. Many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I ran the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car... He wrapped his arms around me, and he simply said, Welcome home. No shame, no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. As you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we, came to God with, when we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, and our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, Welcome home. And then she said this, And that invitation is open to all of you. No blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. See, when we go around pretending like we've got it all together, like we're okay, all we're doing is presenting a distorted version of the good news because it's our shared brokenness. It's our shared need that we have a Savior, that we all have that, that need to come and to have Him come to our lives and, and change us on the inside. Jesus is in the business of transforming people. He does His best work with broken people. That's good news. Why wouldn't we want to lean into that? Because when we lean into that, then all of a sudden the world sees that, then that becomes appealing. They don't resist that anymore. 
We can connect with Him. He's become Emmanuel, God with us. We now have the ability every day, every day, anytime we want to come into His presence. And we neglect that. We stop thinking like Him. We stop putting other people first. We stop looking out for their needs rather than our own. We stop considering other people more important than ourselves. We don't do what Jesus did, which is leverage his power and influence for us. Oh, no. I have my rights. And the good news becomes more distorted. And it gets resisted. Every single generation of Jesus' followers are responsible for making sure we stay true to the original news. That we keep that original version the way it should be. There may be somebody coming to see you at Christmas who needs to see a version, the, the, the original version of the good news. There's probably somebody around your work or in your home or, or where you go that needs to, to see the original version of the good news because as it was presented, the original version, it was good news of great joy for all people. And people leaned into it. People wanted to know that it was true. Jesus said they're fighting to get in. But so oftentimes, what do we do? We take that original version and we twist it, we distort it. And as a result, people go, hey, that may be true or not. I'm just not sure that's good. I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure it's good for me, good for society at all. We have to come to grips And be willing to admit that even in our own lives, we've lost sight of what made the good news such good news. We've got to come to grips with that. And we've got to come down and say, okay, I've distorted that. I've, I've, I've said it's about other people. I've said it's about loving other people, but I've got broken relationships. What do I do? What do I do, Lord? What do I do? I've got this sin in my life. I've got this, these addictions. I've got these things going on. What do I do? Don't go back to the original version. Connect to him. Spend time with him. Begin to think like he thinks. And then you'll begin to, to love like he loves. By this will all men know that they're my followers. They're my disciples by their love for one another. It can't be clear. It can't be clear. And let's make sure we make it clear through our lives this Christmas. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.